Coming up on Mayo Clinic Q&A. Recently, there has been a steady uptick in COVID-19 infections due to the new and changing variants. These variants are highly contagious, so it's still important to take the precaution of masking in public areas, even if you have been immunized and have received your boosters. Can't say it enough, this is so hyper contagious that regardless of having had three or four doses of vaccine or of having previous COVID, you still run a, an appreciable chance of getting COVID. The risk in that case is not of death or hospitalization, but of the complications and long haul symptoms of COVID. And that's what we're trying to prevent in, in people who've been immunized. Welcome everyone to Mayo Clinic Q&A. I'm your host, Dr. Helena Gazelka, and we're recording this podcast on Tuesday, June the 14th, 2022. As immunity for many wanes and Omicron and its subvariants continue to circulate, just about everyone knows someone who has COVID or has had COVID. Is this the state of our new normal? And what's the latest update on vaccines and boosters, including for young children? Well, we have your answers today because our expert, Dr. Greg Poland from the Mayo Clinic is here to talk to us just about those topics. Welcome back, Greg. Thank you, Helena. Good to see you. Good to see you. It's been a couple week hiatus. It's I lovely know. to get together again. <laughs> a lot has happened since we last spoke. Oh boy. So let's jump right in. Tell me what is going on with COVID, Omicron, subvariants. Yeah, we're, we're in a, a kind of a sad situation right now that's a juxtaposition of so much of the general public wrongly thinking that COVID is over. And it is not. We're, we're having a, a, around 100,000 known new cases a day. Wow. And, that, and, that, and the real number, because of the amount of home testing or lack of testing, is probably three times more than that. We're having about, we have about 30,000 people in the hospital and about 300 dying every day from this preventable disease. That in association with confusion about what's going on, new variants and waning immunity is, has really moved us backward rather than forward. And you, you, you asked about the variants. This is the biggest thing that's changed since you and I last spoke. Uh, now about 20% of the circulating strains are the BA4 and BA5. About 60 plus percent are the BA2 12.1, and about 20% or less are the old, if you will, Omicron. The problem with that is we're having more and more variants. BA4 and 5 likely will take off. And unfortunately, because people keep getting infected, allowing the virus to mutate, it substantially escapes illness-induced and vaccine-induced immunity. So it's likely we could have a real problem this summer and going into the school year on our hands as, as people fail to take the basic mitigation measures. Greg, I have a couple questions about vaccines for you today. Mm -hmm. First of all, what is a bivalent vaccine and will it be recommended for most of us this fall? That's a great question, Helena. Uh, Moderna 
has been working on a bivalent vaccine. Initially, it was the Wuhan and beta, but beta is essentially gone now. So they've just traded that out, switched it out to include the Wuhan, that is the original strain, and the Omicron strain. It looks in very preliminary data to offer strong immunity. And so the thought is that they will put that before the FDA. I, I, I believe it's scheduled for the 28th of June. Um, and then a vote, a discussion and a vote be taken on that. The problem, of course, is, uh, again, with the incredible number, uh, I was just on an airplane and I bet three to 5% of us wore a mask, nobody else. Uh, so you know what's going to happen you, when you go into the grocery store, almost nobody uh, is, is in a mask. So they're getting infected one after another. Each time that happens, there's the risk of new variants, and these new variants could come along and negate the value of a new bivalent vaccine. So we're in this constant catch-22 because we can't get people to adopt evidence-based public health and scientifically driven uh, measures. So, uh, you know, best guess is we will have a bivalent vaccine that we would be able to get sometime this summer, toward the end of summer, one hopes that all of this can get sorted out before kids go back into school. Um, because with these newer variants, they are highly, they are super contagious. Uh, I may have mentioned before, the most contagious virus known to humans is measles virus. Mm -hmm. And this one, these new variants are just below measles. Wow. Well, you brought up children, Greg. So let's jump into the big news this week about vaccines for kids under five. I know there's a lot going on uh, behind the scenes on this topic. Can you tell us about it? Yeah, you're right, Helene. In fact, as we talk right now, the first of a two-day FDA discussion and meeting is taking place. Um, we have results from both Moderna and Pfizer. They've been shown to be generally safe. There are side effects, of course, and to offer protection. The, the difficulty is that these are being studied while new variants are arising. So there's, there is no clinical data on the efficacy of these against BA4 and 5 because BA4 and 5 didn't exist when they started this study. That's how fast it's happening. In fact, BA4 and 5, their prevalence in the US has doubled in the last week. As of early uh, May, it was only 1% of sequences, now almost 20%. Um, so nonetheless, so Moderna is a two-dose vaccine for children. In their top-line results, it offered between 37 and 50% protection against symptomatic disease. The Pfizer vaccine is a really small dose. It is a tenth of the dose that we use in adults. So they had to move to three doses. You may remember they, they started with two doses and that's what has delayed this. And their efficacy in children six months to two years old was 75%. And in two to five-year-olds, it was uh, 82 or 83% somewhere in there. So, uh, you know, it, it, it may get confusing to parents as to which vaccine should be used, a two dose, a three dose, a difference in, in efficacy. 
uh, a potential difference in side effects. All of that is being sorted out over these next two days. If they vote positively, then on Friday, this would go to the CDC expert committee for discussion and then a recommendation made. If those are both approved, um, the Biden administration has signaled that they will release these vaccines very quickly after that by mid, uh, by the end of the second to third week of June. Hmm. I think that will probably be a relief to a lot of parents, but there is more news to come on this. So yes, uh, we too. know you'll be watching. <laughs> Greg, what is the significance of Novavax? I saw that it was, um, I believe, released last week or put into use last week. Um, why does that matter when we already have multiple vaccines? Yeah, so uh, just uh, full disclosure, I, I give consultative advice to all the vaccine manufacturers, but for the FDA meeting, I actually presented the clinical case for Novavax vaccine. Okay. Listeners should just be aware of that. Mm -hmm. um, the, the import, so, so the FDA approved it unanimously okay. with one abstention. It now goes to CDC. So we don't actually have it released and available yet. Um, the advantage of it, I would say, is that it, it causes less in the way of reactogenicity with um, uh, immunogenicity and efficacy equal to the other mRNA vaccines. So I think for some people who don't want to get an mRNA vaccine or who had a side effect due to an mRNA vaccine, this will be a good option for them. Um, and I think the more, the more options we have, the better uh, for the public. Greg, I'm going to open the listener mailbag to our brilliant listeners, but I want to ask you one question because it's been in the news so much recently. Tell us about monkeypox and the significance of this. Well, you know, this is really interesting. Um, the, the media hasn't quite reported it this way, but monkeypox now fulfills the technical definition of a pandemic. In that regard, we have two pandemics happening simultaneously. Outside of Africa, we now have almost 1,300 documented cases across 28 different countries and a huge outbreak within certain countries over these last months in Africa. So the concern is that it will continue to spread. What happened is that initially there were very large um, rave parties for men who have sex with men in Spain and Belgium. This occurred over 10 days, um, just you know, all kinds of anonymous sexual activity. Some of those individuals had been to Africa, had contracted monkeypox, and then spread it because of the close skin-to-skin -skin contact with other people. And then thousands of those people went back to their home countries. And that's why it is spread into these 28 different countries in the US, Canada, Australia, multiple countries in Europe and, and Asia. Now, fortunately, it's what's called the West African clade or strain, which normally has a less than 1% fatality rate, but it's all the other complications that can occur, including scarring of the eye with subsequent blindness, inflammation of the brain, skin scarring, pneumonia, 
um, and, and the transmissibility of it. Now, fortunately, it's not as transmissible as something like measles or COVID or even smallpox. It really takes pretty close uh, and prolonged contact in order to spread. But it's a concern if this were to get established in the population and spill over into the animal population. You might remember in 2003, in our own Midwest region, we had 71 cases of monkeypox related to imported rodents from pet rodents. I don't know why anybody would want one, but <laughs> from Africa that were, that were infected. And we were gravely concerned that if one of those had escaped and gotten into, for example, the prairie dog population, we would never be rid of this. And the population would always be at risk for monkeypox. So, so that's the concern that's happening. Is it true that you used the same smallpox vaccine that we received as children to prevent monkeypox? Well, we actually have two vaccines now. Oh. We have the smallpox vaccine, and you're exactly right that it does protect against monkeypox. But there's also a monkeypox vaccine, which is safer but more limited in availability. So both can be used. In fact, you can use, ideally you use the vaccine before exposure. We're not going to immunize the population. If somebody has had exposure, we try to get them the vaccine within four days to prevent the disease or as long as 14 days to decrease the severity of disease. In addition, we've got two antivirals that can be used. So we, in the United States, we're well prepared, we're in good shape. That is not the case for other nations. So uh, you know, for the general listening public, I would say your risk is if you're having close contact with somebody who has skin lesions and the vast majority of cases have been in men who have sex with other men. So contact in those sorts of circumstances are higher risk, as well as a healthcare worker taking care of somebody with monkeypox. Greg, you said earlier that monkeypox would fit the criteria of a pandemic or the oh. definition. What is the criteria for something to be a pandemic? So we really want to see elevated case rates across multiple countries at the same or concurrent time. And that's definitely the case here. More than one case is considered an outbreak. And we have that, as I, as I mentioned, across 28 countries. And those cases have been rapidly climbing. So uh, we've got to keep a sharp eye out for the physicians who might be listening, as well as um, our, our general public. What's different, you tend to see pictures of somebody covered with uh, pustules or, or skin lesions. What has generally been different and aberrant about this outbreak is it has generally been one to a handful of lesions. Um, and those can be easily confused with other kinds of lesions, including uh, chickenpox. So somebody who has a fever, a rash, who's had contact with a high-risk person, uh, even though you may not feel sick, it would be wise to see your healthcare provider with a question being, could this represent monkeypox? That's how we're going to find cases and prevent new transmission to other people. 
All right, Greg, let's see what our listeners have in store for you to challenge you today. Okay, here we go. All right. Our first listener asks, with so many people having recent COVID infections due to Omicron, how do people know when they should get their first booster? I've had three mRNA shots and now I've had COVID. Should I get a second booster? If so, when? Yeah, I, I, I probably in that case, if, if that individual were not immunocompromised, I probably would not rush to get a second booster since they've in essence had three doses of vaccine and a case of COVID, which we would count as similar to a booster. And in that case, I would probably hold for the handful or two of weeks i.e. during this summer when we may have a bivalent vaccine and that would be the better booster then for this individual. But wear a mask, you would say that. Continue to wear a mask. I mean, it, this is just so, I can't say it enough. This is so hyper contagious that regardless of having had three or four doses of vaccine or of having previous COVID, you still run a, an appreciable chance of getting COVID. The risk in that case is not of death or hospitalization, but of the complications and long haul symptoms of COVID. And that's what we're trying to prevent in, in people who've been immunized. All right, Greg, our second listener says, I'm immunocompromised. And my doctor talked about a COVID preventative drug called Evusheld. I'd love to hear what you know about this. Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, all of our listeners, every single question we've had have been great questions. Some of them caused me to scratch my head and go back into the <laughs> lab. I'm not kidding, to try to figure out the answer. In this case though, uh, what the listener is referring to is a combination of two monoclonal antibodies that are given in two different ways. One of them is to prevent infection. So prophylactically, um, you get two intramuscular immunizations or, or injections, I should say, protects you for about six months at a level of about 85 to 90%. So very effective. Wow. We also use it in people who are for uh, valid medical reasons, unable to get vaccine or who, who are immunocompromised and may not respond to a vaccine. The other thing though, and it's interesting this question came up because these are pretty much hot off the press data. There was a uh, phase three study called TACL, which was an outpatient trial of giving one dose of the vaccine in people who, were, who had mild COVID to see if you could prevent progression in high-risk people. If you gave it within three days, it had almost 90% uh, effectiveness in preventing progression. In five days, 67% efficacy, and within seven days, about a 50% reduction in going on to more severe disease. So this is a very valuable um, prophylactic and, in a sense, therapeutic that we have in our armamentarium. So certainly people who are immunocompromised uh, or who can't get the vaccines for some reason, this is a great option for them. As a matter of fact, in that outpatient trial, one of the interesting things is that the side effect rate in the placebo group was higher 
than in the group that got the combination monoclonal antibodies. How interesting. <laughs> that rarely happens. Rarely. <laughs> well, anything else to share with our listeners today, Greg? I think we've talked uh, quite a bit about it. Um, uh, I, I just, I just would plead that we are, we're, you know, we're in year three now of this pandemic, and uh, I, I was stopped on the street yesterday by somebody who knew me, and and his opening comment was, "Nobody's afraid of COVID anymore, right? It's over." And I, I marvel that people have that idea. Where, where, where did they get that idea? It's true that before Christmas. After Delta, we had reached quite a low point that all those gains have been totally reversed, totally reversed. We had more people die in the U.S. in four months of Omicron than six months of Delta. And people don't realize this, even if they don't die. The risk of myocarditis from the disease, the risk of diabetes and cardiovascular complications, fatigue to the point where they can't work. These are real and ever-present risks if you get infected. So we're really trying to tell people, preserve your health and the health of those around you. Get fully immunized and, and wear a mask when you're indoors with people not in your family. Thank you, Greg, for being here today. My pleasure. Our thanks to Dr. Greg Poland, virologist, and vaccine expert for being here with us today to share the latest on COVID variants, vaccines, and monkeypox. I hope that you learned something. I know that I did, and we wish each of you a very wonderful day. Mayo Clinic Q&A is a production of the Mayo Clinic News Network and is available wherever you get and subscribe to your favorite podcasts. To see a list of all the Mayo Clinic podcasts, visit newsnetwork.mayoclinic.org. Then, click on podcasts. Thanks for listening and be well. We hope you'll offer a review of this and other episodes when the option is available. Comments and questions can also be sent to Mayo Clinic News Network at mayo.edu.